Ahoy, authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 75 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. Every week we show you editing in action with tips that you can use to improve your own stories. If you want to learn more about the Writership Podcast, you can visit the website at writership.org slash podcast. And as you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your books, so you should use the AMC Reviewer Grabber Tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. Leslie, how are you? I'm doing well. Clark, how are you? <laughs> I, I'm uh, here. It seems like I, it's been so long since I've talked to you. I know, forever. <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone can pick up on that. We can trust them to get it. Um, <laughs> so, Clark, I stumbled upon this really interesting article this week, uh, and I don't think it's old. It's like, you know, it's almost two years old, um, on Slate. And it was talking about this, the author was all upset uh, about uh, how people are using single quotes um, as scare quotes. Mm -hmm. So when you when you mean something as its opposite, essentially, you're being or you're being ironic or sarcastic. Um, And he was kind of upset that people were using it this way. And, um, and, and also lamenting the fact that people go to like Yahoo, what ask Yahoo, is that the name of it? You know, they go to places like that and ask, what do you do here? Instead of looking things up in a more, um, prescriptive, uh, source. Right. Like grabbing a a manual of style. Right. And I, I read through it too, and it, it is, it's really, it's got some good stuff in there. And um, you can tell, you know, when someone really is, uh, is, is strongly um, opinionated about how we should write. <laughs> so, and, and it's true though. I mean, we, we, we should, we should understand what it is that we're doing and, and why it is. And a lot of times we we do have a breakdown of the language. And, and of course the language is, but we always say living and you know it's a growing language it changes but um but understanding you know how to use grammar properly and and what should be used when um is a, is great and so if you're just going and asking i mean that'd be like going to the gas station you're like hey i need to get five gallons outside and by the way do you know how to use open quotes what do you think <laughs> like just wondering what your opinion was <laughs> and and semicolons do you yeah and semicolons how do I use those? Uh-huh. Um, yes, I, I, I both uh, could sort of empathize with the author of that uh, of that post, and also I was kind of a little okay, dude. Take some deep breaths and uh, and move <laughs> on because because there is right there is the like what is technically correct, and if you were writing a nonfiction book that was you know straight up. Um, like 
this is just information. I am delivering information. And um, then, you know, then you obviously you want it to be technically correct. Um, but sometimes being technically correct doesn't serve your story. And so mm -hmm. I have so I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, like you um I, I am all okay with people breaking rules if they understand what it is that they're breaking. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, if you're doing it as a very specific choice and this is what it is and it's consistent throughout the work and you have a reason for it, um, that's okay. But if you're just doing it because you saw someone else do it and you're doing it because you think, because that's the, um, I was talking with my son actually just a couple days ago. He's starting uh, high school. He's going to be a freshman and he's, oh of course, and I know it's crazy. I'm an old man. And uh, <laughs> he's, that wasn't where I went. Where I went uh -huh. was like I started thinking about me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, when my kids are in <laughs> high school, I'm going to freak out." Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So he's taking English, and of course he's uh, he's uh, complaining because he knows English, right? I mean, he's been speaking it his whole life. What is it they're going to teach him? Right. And <laughs> and that's a problem with being a native speaker, a native writer. Um, that you understand it based on what everyone else is saying, but you've never actually sat down and gotten the rules. Mm. And so it means that you're not the professional. You, mm -hmm. you really don't have all of the answers to it. And if this is important and I take it from our listeners, cause you're here to want to learn to write that you want to become the professional. And so for you, you should be even more uh, interested in learning how to do all this the right way. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, um, I'm going to duck after I say this, but I take issue sometimes with the strunk and white um, and and all of the, you know, the edicts handed down from you know, huh. um, that y you shall do this because um, because sometimes you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, there are circumstances. And so, as you say, it's important to understand, like, what's the principle under underlying the rule write short sentences well you want things to be clear and it's easier to be clear if you have a short sentence like that's one tool one way um one tactic as it were to um to make your sentences very clear and so that's why i um i get a little like oh yes that's a you know that is a guideline that is a um and generally really works but um but it's yeah, not what if it you want to always right. work what if you want to slow down the scene and make it feel longer and more drawn out yes increasing the length of your sentences does that right you know like you, you can use all kinds of different things for pacing and and so like understanding all of this is really important and you know i guess i should say you know like if you're thinking about working with an editor as well like I love this. There's a quote that I don't know who it's attributed to, and it, um, it says, "You know, if you think hiring a professional is expensive, just wait till you hire an amateur." And <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like if you're if you're at that step and you're doing that, you know, think think twice about how much do they really know. You know, like make sure that you're that you, that you're going to the source that works and not just making a mistake later down the road that you're going to have to fix again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I enjoy uh, being the word and punctuation nerd that I am. I really, I kind of enjoyed that uh, post, even though it was I, a good post. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little snarky, which I appreciate. 
Because mm-hmm. I think text messaging is killing our language. But, you know, that's... I've never <laughs> wrote a post. Get off my lawn. Maybe, yeah, get off my lawn. And <laughs> so I remember when we didn't have cell phones. Right. We had to get up and change the channel on the TV and then walk back. <laughs> and wrote letters longhand yeah. in cursive. <laughs> Don't get me started on the typewriter. Okay. <laughs> All right, little interlude there. Okay, so uh, moving on. Do you want to do a quote of the week this week? Yeah, we should. All right, yeah. I've I've got one, another one that I was thinking about here from uh, Janice Hardy. Mm-hmm. Um, says, "This is the hard part: knowing what's too much and what's not enough." In a first draft, I err on the side of caution and explain things in a show way, not a tell way. Sometimes you don't know where the best spot for those clarifications are, so I put them in where I feel right and edit out later. If you have a good critique partner or group, they can provide valuable insight into where you need more or less info. If you're on your own, then let your manuscript sit for a month or two before you revise, then read through it in one or two sittings. You can also look for areas in which you do spell it out. Common trouble spots here are the emotional or motivational areas. Writers often do a great job of showing why, then doubt themselves and add in a told this is why statement at the end. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, my first book, the first time that uh, uh, was was that way. Mm-hmm. Like I was telling the readers and he clearly was showing them what the emotion was going on and then also saying, and they really loved each other. Like, you know, it was like stuff like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> They're hugging and smiling and gazing. And, gazing and then. In case you missed it. <laughs> these two love each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think it's common. You want to, you know, it, it, the, well, it's the opposite problem of the underwriting, right? Where you have stuff in your head that doesn't make it onto the page. And this is just, you know, you have some doubts and, you know, it happens of course in the, in the early drafts. So, um, yes, we all suffer from those things. Which is good. We're all in the same boat together. Yes. Everything we write at the beginning sucks. Editing maps. <laughs> yep. Thirty first draft. That's right. All right. So today's submission, we have a historical fiction, which we don't get that often, and I always enjoy. Uh, this is called The Wolf and the Ravens by DJ Umber. The word count of the full um, full novel is 90,000. It's not yet published, and we are in the prologue here. So Clark, yeah, is going to do the honors today. All right, here we go. 133 BC. From atop the wooden tower on the eastern rise, the valley seemed a peaceful place. A thick morning fog hung in the air, obscuring the ground below. From the south, a simple dirt path led into the valley, past the watchtower, and into the mouth of the Alps, an impenetrable mountain range that had never been breached by an army, except once. The thought sent a a chill down Lucius's spine. I'll never have to fight a real enemy, not like Hannibal, just common bandits, nothing I can't handle. As a soldier, he was glad for the peaceful assignment, manning the sentry tower. Sabina, the love of his life, lived in Veron, only a few miles south of the watchtower. 
It had been the best day of his life when she'd agreed to marry him, a common Hasadi soldier. Just thinking of her made him swell, as he recalled their few their first night only a few months ago. Heavy footsteps echoed from the ladder below, growing louder as they approached. The sound ruined his pleasant mood, heralding his least favorite part of the day. Hasadi report, the man ordered. Lucius snapped to attention and continued to gaze out over the landscape. Nothing to report, sir. All calm and quiet this morning. Now leave me alone so I can go and enjoy the morning. But Lucius knew he wouldn't get that lucky. Agrippa commanded with a heavy hand and never left his men in peace. It had been this way for months, ever since the man had been promoted to decurion. Most decurions were good leaders, the kind you would follow to the underworld and back. Agrippa was the other sort. The prestige had gone to his head, inflating his ego and arrogance to ungodly levels. Keep a sharp eye, then. Mornings like this are often the most dangerous. There could be any number of enemies just around the corner. And what exactly am I supposed to be watching? The only ones in this valley is us and some stray sheep. Understood, sir. Lucius tried to think of some excuse to leave, anything to get away from the commander, but he knew it would be futile. Maybe he'll think, maybe he'll trip and break his neck on the way back down the stairs. No one would shed a tear. Instead, Agrippa walked to the unlit signal pyre on the opposite rampart and began checking the oil and flint. As much as Lucius wanted to wander away out of sight, it was an unspoken rule among the men not to relax until the commander was gone. He was already making their lives difficult. It would only get worse if they gave him a reason. Lucius listened for several minutes as he looked over the landscape, watching his several stray sheep wandered closer to the tower through the fog. His mouth began to water as he imagined spit-roasted lamb for dinner. The rest of the men would certainly appreciate it. Unfortunately, Agrippa, Agrippa would never allow it. He waited for the sound of the decorian going back down the stairs. He heard the rustling of clothes, a subtle popping noise, probably cracking his knuckles. Then more silence. Lucius wondered how long this would go on when he heard two heavy thuds, metal on wood. Sir, did you hear that? Turning, he saw the grappling hooks gripping the wooden rampart. Then he noticed Agrippa next to them, lying on the rampart, with his neck twisted at an impossible angle. Lucius felt his heart beat like a sledgehammer. The obvious culprit stood nearby, a savage-looking man wearing a large sheep hide. Oh, shit. Wake up, he yelled down the ladder at the men inside the tower. We're under attack. Lucius ripped his sword from its sheath, praying the men below would make it to the rampart soon. He readied himself for the man's attack, but the savage just stood there and smiled. What is he waiting for? Creaking wood sounded from behind. Lucius leapt sideways just in time as the walkway split apart, struck right where he'd been standing by a heavy two-handed sword. Heart pounding, he stepped further away before turning to face the two savages and promptly realized his dilemma. The second man stood taller than most, broad-shouldered, armored in bronze scales with a wolf pelt for a cloak. He held the two-handed sword lazily in one hand and a spear in the other. Compared to his own leather vest and short sword, Lucius knew it would be suicide to fight him alone. His heart began racing as he heard battle cries and clashing weapons from below, destroying any hope he'd had for reinforcements. 
The smaller man leapt at him, a knife in each hand, slashing fast. Lucius parried each in turn, struggling to keep up with the faster man's movements. Then the other one came, charging, swinging the heavy sword with both hands. Lucius ignored the lives, braced him, knives, braced himself, and felt the clash in his bones as steel met steel. The blow sent him flying over the edge of the tower battlements. The ground raced up to meet him. He tucked and rolled, tumbling down into the valley through the fog. As he came to a stop, the world continued to spin amid the shrill death screams of his men. The smell of blood hung heavy in the air as the sounds of combat steadily grew less intense. As his head stopped spinning and he regained his bearings, he expected to find the enemy closing in all around. Instead, the tall grass and thick fog seemed to have hidden him from the rest. The signal fire. He looked up and realized no one had lit it. It would be impossible to get to it now. I'll get out of here and warn the town myself. Lucius crawled as fast as he could, staying below the fog as he prayed his thanks to the gods for letting him live. He'd made it about thirty paces from the tower, all enemies behind him, when he risked standing just high enough to see back to the tower. They aren't even looking this way. If I stand up and run, someone might see me. But I'll be so far away by then. I can make it. Then he saw it. At the far end of the valley, where the land rose above the fog to meet the mouth of the mountain pass, a column of cavalry and footmen, two, three, no, at least four hundred, armed to the teeth, marching with the same half-disciplined common among northern tribes. Not bandits? An invasion? No, too few. Or maybe it's just the vanguard. Doesn't matter. I have to warn the town. Lucius took off at a dead sprint. Seconds passed, the wind whipping at his face as his mind worked out a plan to find Sabina and get her out. I can make it. When I get to run, I'll... His chest ruptured, a spear emerging from his ribs as it impaled him from behind. The force of the impact carried him several steps before he fell. He tried to look back to see what had gone wrong. The wolf-cloaked warrior stood atop the tower, poised as if he'd just thrown his spear over a hundred paces away. Impossible at that distance. Lucius tried to pull himself along, but his limbs felt heavier with every movement. The pain gave way to numbness and forced him to accept the reality. He only had moments left to live. He spent them praying to Mars and Bologna to spare his wife in Verun. Right. Uh, so that's our, yes, that's our submission for today. Um, I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, this is, uh, this is really interesting because I, uh, like I was telling uh, you, Clark, um, I, at first I felt a little cheated uh, because I was like, oh, we just get to know Lucius and then, you know, and then he's killed and, you know, and I felt a little like, oh. Um, but then I realized that this was, um, you know, similar to um, the the prologue of the um, Game of Thrones, and that um, that this is, you know, we know right away this is a brutal world. Life is not mm -hmm. fair. Just so you know, reader, this is where we're going. Um, so I kind of so then I was like, oh, nice. Okay, <laughs> so it was kind of a fun. Uh, experience uh, as you know being the reader of it mm -hmm. and I, I really enjoyed um, the the interaction that he's having with the, the commander um, 
because I've had that commander before. And like, <laughs> you know, not naming names. Not naming any names. But I've had that commander before, you know, and where you 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 and the man are just like, oh, he's here. Oh, geez, now I got to do this and that, and I got to stand here looking like I care about what he's saying. And uh, so there were some spots here that were just really nailed well, and and uh, definitely you know set up for what could be a really exciting story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of suggestions for the author, I'm, um, I feel like there's a lot of explaining. So we're getting, um, explaining things that we can get gather from the, from the context, a lot of, you know, why is he doing something? A lot of just, it feels like, you know, like, um, let's see. Uh, I guess, especially toward the end, like after the attack begins, that we get a lot of a lot of his thoughts, um, mm-hmm. and and his um, and and we get you know exposition um, through that, or we get exposition and the thoughts, and it felt like there was a lot more of that, and I would rather get closer to his reactions even Mm -hmm. though we're not you know going to spend much time with poor lucius um that um that his reactions would um like more i guess what i'm saying is more like uh his reaction to agrippa thinking about the lamb on the spit you know that these are this is a great way to convey he's not really worried about barbarians or anyone else coming through the pass there coming over the mountains and and getting them he's not worried and i think those details um are a better way to convey that than for him to be thinking oh um what's he thinking he's it's like, oh, you know, I don't have to worry about anyone ever coming and attacking through these mountains. Right, right. Which almost, it feels like, a, it's like a setup, right? Uh-huh. It, and it's, it's a little too much of a setup. Uh, I think it's, you know, obviously we like the foreshadowing. It's kind of fun. You're like, uh-oh, it's coming. Uh, so you can get excited about it, but you don't want to overdo that. And I feel like that in that moment that it overdoes it. You know, nothing I can't handle. Oh, Lucius, you might as well be wearing a red Star Trek shirt, you know? Um, yeah. So, but yeah, so I want to like... um his his thoughts about the invading force feel really similar and so i would want to you know suggest that cut some of that um and have like instead of him you know going through the the um thoughts about oh i've got to get to the village and you know and and how he's going to work that out just like have him think sabina and then like and then take some action so like a word and then action and that that is a that's enough for us to know like he wants to go and to the town and warn people and make her safe. Um, so that's my, um, yeah, that would be my main suggestion. Yeah. And, you know, um, kind of following along with that, um, if we could cut down on some of these so that we could get more, um, feeling and we could see more show of what's going on instead of the tells that we're getting through the through the thoughts um we could 
paint a better picture of what's going on here because you know we're talking historical fiction i'm sure dj has like studied these watchtowers you know um from 300 bc and knows exactly what they look like and knows exactly how they're manned and all of this but um but most readers probably won't and so like i had a lot of confusion when we get to the this little battle scene of what this tower looks like because in my mind a tower is um you know it goes straight up and if it's but then we mentioned that there's battlements and we're walking around and so i i'm not i'm trying to picture it i'm trying to mm-hmm. see it and so if we had these things where he's following along with the commander and looking out at different places and and mentioning little small details about this tower once we get to the fight scene it would flow where it, you could see it more mm-hmm. because it's for me it was difficult to see where this action is taking place and this action is important of course um and so that could help along that way so that way you know which side those guys came up on and are they clear down away because um this was my other thought with this is that we're talking about desire and of course he's going to have the desire to go into town and take care of that but he's also got this jerk commander who's been working him for months so they've probably been like doing drills and like you know even though they're like this is stupid no one's ever going to attack us but they're still doing this type of stuff mm-hmm. and so like once those grappling hooks come up what is his desire you know like he stands there waiting to see if someone's going to move and it seems like he should have one of two desires here or maybe three um to take off and run home <laughs> yeah <laughs> to run a <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, to do what is self-preservation and get the girl and get out uh-huh. um the second one would be i'm gonna do my duty and my training my training has said if we get under attack i gotta run over and light this fire mm-hmm. uh, to signal everyone right. or that i'm going to do which we had the flight so Here's the fight response that I'm going to pull the sword and then charge in and attack. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do any one of those three things. And so these, especially in these action scenes, are great spots for motivational reaction units. We've, I've, man, we've talked about those a lot. Um, They're important. <laughs> but the, they are important. But the idea, you know, that he's got he's to desire a goal. He tries to attempt to get it. Um, he's held back from it. He reacts to it. And he changes course. And... These can work really well there. So, like, if the if the desire is to get out and to get to the village, then everything should be that direction. If the desire is to light that fire, then everything should be that direction. If the desire is to go after and attack these two guys, then everything should be pushed in that way, and we should have all these feelings, and his desires should be seen that way. Right. So he's um, – when he's attacked and then he um, – they – like he gets, um, I forget exactly how it wa- how it happened, but then he's like flipped off the tower and the ground comes up to get him. Um, uh, which <laughs> I was like, I made the comment there, just a little rabbit trail here, but um, that the a lot of people would say, well, that's not actually what's going on. That you know that he's you know racing down to meet the. Um, down to meet the ground um but i thought it was um i thought it was cool because a cool way to put it and you do read that of course um because that would be his experience of it and so those kinds of things i really like um Mm -hmm. um but okay so he's on the ground and then he's um he 
he's thinking all these thoughts, right? And then he finally decides, okay, I have to warn the town. Like he makes a decision and then he goes and then he's like, you know, he's struck down. So, um, so what's an, another, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot, Clark, but what's another way that that could, so if you're, um, to kind of, uh, demonstrate the the MRUs. So he, we see that he's going to, for example, light the um, light the pyre. Okay, so let's take that one for instance, because again, we don't have an established desire right. when the people come up on the tower. So let's say that his desire was to light that pyre, mm-hmm. um, and so the the guys come up onto the tower and he's like, I got to get there and I got to light this. And he's running and he's trying to knock him out or whatever. And he's, as he's getting close to it to, to strike the flint, one of them knocks him off the tower. Now he's fallen on the ground. His desire should be still to try to figure out a way to get back up there and do it, mm-hmm. you know, and it, because that desire hasn't changed because he realizes that this is how he's going to save the town is by signaling everybody that there's an attack. Right. And so he would be trying to climb back up, you know, and he gets beaten down again. And maybe after the third time he gets beaten down and they've taken the tower and he knows there's no way to save the town that way, then that desire could change to going home to warn the town in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get that. Um, and just for just for uh, the sake of going through this again, um, what what about okay? If his goal is to fight those guys, same kind of thing. He you know if he he's attacking them, he falls on the ground. He should be back. Um, he should keep trying to get it. Right, back he's going to get, up get back up and get on that horse. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Lucius. you know he's he's going to run up that tower. You know he's going to try to fight through the people. You know whatever that is. But I would suggest that what we've built up to here is his love for this woman, mm-hmm. and that even though it may seem cowardly, <laughs> like his first thought is not the pyre and it's not attacking the guys. It's getting off of that tower and getting home. Right. <laughs> and so like, and then, you know, that they help him get knocked off the tower or whatever. But like, um, it's, it's the idea that we have to, we've got a situation that we've placed our character in. We've upped the ante, you know, um, we've added new stakes here. We've got people attacking. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how does he respond? Like, where's his mind at? The mind should still stay focused on one goal. It shouldn't be all over the place. I mean, it probably would naturally in the real world, but in fictional life here to keep the, the direction for the reader, that's the direction that we keep them going is towards that main goal. And so we need to establish a goal here for him. Um, up front when those when those grappling hooks first hit so that his decisions make sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i mean so at the very beginning his goal is just to avoid the avoid the commander um, yeah but then that changes when the when the barbarians show up because mm-hmm, we've raised the stakes right so the barbarians are there but his desire doesn't seem to change here like that, like it doesn't seem to like he hasn't refocused what he wants to do. Like he's just standing by. Right, right. Yeah, he's yeah. And I was a little confused at that point. Like after he recognizes, oh no, stuff's happening. Uh-huh. Um, that there, it feels like there's kind of a gap. 
um, right before something, you know, before he decides, okay, I'm going to do something, but there's not an attendant, like the thought inside isn't necessarily, what do I do? Like he's not freezing. Right. He hasn't frozen up. He's like, why isn't that guy moving? So, you know, which may, which may point towards his desire here is to fight this guy but he's a little scared of walking over to him. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, he's a big guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and which we definitely could be, well, you see, that's where I got confused too. I didn't know if the big guy came up first or if he's oh. looking down over, like there was just some confusion mm-hmm. on, on where everything's taking place. Cause the commander walks down and then gets killed and he looks down. So like, I'm unsure of what level we're fighting on. Mm-hmm. Like, Again, this would help if we could have a better understanding of what this structure looked like. Right. So. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, just you're making sure that you get, your character is going after what it is that their desire is and that they're continually trying to do it until you've changed something dramatically. You know, and the dramatic change from the commander is the attack. Mm-hmm. And okay, we do have a dramatic change where we've tossed him out. But again, I just feel like we didn't have a real clear goal before he gets tossed out of the tower. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, did you have anything else? Um, you know, talking just the descriptions, um, you know, his duties. And uh, there was a couple spots in here, you know, watch out for echoing of words mm-hmm. you know, to make the readability better. Um, I, just one other just thought that I just crossed my mind. So um, how historical fiction is this historical fiction? You know, is it, are you going to have to go through and, and learn how they're speaking? You know, like, do you want to get to that level and change up um, the dialogue here to add more proper sound of that time period or is it more light historical fiction Mm -hmm. so yeah there were a a couple of phrases that i caught as i was going through that i that um just kind of there it felt like there was a little dissonance with the with the time period yeah yeah, with the time period (laughs) which is you know which is fine as you know as long as that's a fairly consistent thing um and uh yeah yeah, but that's all I that's all I've got. All right. Well, I have an editorial mission. Really? Yeah. I am. <laughs> Shocking. Uh so I want you to check your why. So take a pivotal scene or one that seems kind of complex or confusing and check that you haven't explained too much. You know, like essentially check the balance. Are you explaining enough, but not explaining too much? And particularly think about why your characters are doing what they do and whether that's, um, whether you're kind of letting the reader um, ferret that out or if you are just delivering uh, it to them. See if you can show what you, you know, what's been told through exposition or thoughts and trust that your reader's going to understand that people usually mean the natural consequences of their actions. So the actions can convey the, um, 
the action can convey the intent uh, or the why, and you don't have to explain that. Yeah. Um, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget, when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. Yes. And um, I want to remind you that uh, about the indie author spree uh, that I talked about last week, and the links will be on the in the show notes. That's a um, a free online program where you can you get lots of uh, insight from really smart people in the business. Um, and check out Clark's courses. Um, the link again in the show notes. Um, and if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, if you have five pages you want to have reviewed, you can send those to writershippodcast at gmail.com. And finally, don't forget to check out the Book Editor Show, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley uh, for great editing tips and discussions. All right, that's it for us this week. We will see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.